on Sunday mornings we're working through Luke's Gospel together and we've reached the end of chapter 11 this morning, uh, particularly verses uh, 37 to 54. Uh, Often we think of Jesus as, or we can wrongly think of Jesus as only ever saying very nice things, uh, being very kind, uh, very polite, very gentle. Um, Much of the time he is that, uh, but not in this passage. Um, The things he says, he says in love. Uh, Let's not misunderstand that. Uh, But these are sharp words uh, that Jesus is going to say in these verses. Uh, They're sharp words. Uh, Woe to you Pharisees. Uh, Woe to you lawyers. Uh, So we'll read the verses through from verse 37 to the end of the chapter. While Jesus was speaking... A Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. <coughs> the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give us alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walking over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things you insult us also. And Jesus said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you low people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary yes I tell you it will be required of this generation woe to you lawyers for you have taken away the key of knowledge you did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him, to catch him in something he might say. Amen. It's lovely, isn't it, to be invited to another person's house for a meal? It's a nice thing, isn't it? Uh, It's commended in the Bible, hospitality uh, is something Christians should show. And it's lovely to be on the receiving end of that hospitality. Uh, I particularly enjoy it because I'm a big fan of food. Um, 
I, dare I say that I, maybe I don't look it, I'm quite slim, but I, I love food. I really enjoy different si- kinds of food. I look forward to whatever uh, might be served up by whoever has invited me around. It's great to be welcomed into another person's home and uh, to share that food with them in a meal. Uh, but eating in somebody else's home when you're invited there, it isn't quite the same as eating in your own home, is it? Uh, every now and again, uh, when I feel like it, uh, I might take my tea and go and sit on the sofa with a tray uh, and eat it while I'm watching television, a football match or a film or, or whatever it is. Uh, I'll sit with it on my lap and watch the telly. Uh, maybe you do that sometimes as well. Maybe you never do that. <laughs> uh, but I can assure you, if you were to invite me for a meal at your house, uh, I would not have the meal there in front of me and decide, I'm just going to pop into the living room, sit on the sofa and watch the telly for a while if that's alright. Uh, and leave you to get on with your meal here. I wouldn't do that. It would be rude, wouldn't it? It's not the done thing. It would be insulting to my host. I hope I wouldn't do it. Uh, But in the passage we read earlier, uh, Jesus seems to do something that, on face value, looks quite similar to being invited to somebody's for dinner and said, oh, thanks, I'll go and watch the telly. Oh, thanks, and have it on my lap. It's just something that seems quite rude. Uh, a man, uh, he's not given a name, we're just told he's a Pharisee in verse 37, <clears throat> invites Jesus round for a meal at his place. Uh, Jesus accepts the invitation, uh, he goes into his home, and he reclines at table with the other guests. The way you ate in that culture was to, to lie down at the table rather than sit at it. Uh, but amongst all of this, he seems to have done something pretty rude. He seems to have committed a terrible faux pas, you could say. Why? What is it that he's done or not done? Well, he's not washed first before his dinner. He's not washed first before his dinner. Uh, Now that uh, was a huge no-no. You did not, in that culture, at that time, amongst these people, begin a meal without first of all washing your hands in water. You especially didn't forget to do that if you were in the home of a Pharisee. It was a genuinely shocking omission on Jesus' part. Worse than just picking up your dinner and going and sitting in front of the telly with it. It was genuinely shocking. So why didn't he do it? Why didn't he do it? Was he not aware that he was supposed to do this? Did he just forget? Did it escape his attention that he should do it? Could he not be bothered? Was he just fond of winding people up, of insulting people? I don't think any of those suggestions explain why he didn't wash his hands before this meal. Uh, The real reason he didn't do it was because he wanted to make a point. He wanted to make a very particular point. Uh, This passage contains a number of things. On the one hand, it it contains hypocrisy. uh, Being something on the outside that you're not on the inside. It also contains uh, legalism. And it's legalism that I want to focus in on, particularly this morning. He was making a point about legalism. Uh, What is legalism? Well, in a nutshell, legalism is trusting in what you have done 
trusting in laws that you have kept in order to make you right with God. In a nutshell, that's legalism. Trusting in what you have done, the laws you have kept, in order to make you acceptable to God. So then, in a very real sense, legalism is trying to save yourself and expecting that you can. Uh, The Pharisees in this passage and the lawyers in this passage that Jesus speaks to, they were masters at trying to save themselves by keeping laws. But it didn't work for them. It didn't make them right with God. In fact, it was deadly, Jesus tells them. And legalism, if we fall into the same trap, we try to make ourselves right with God by keeping certain laws, it won't work for us either. In fact, it will be every bit as deadly for us as it was for these Pharisees and these lawyers. So this passage then is is full of the characteristics uh, of legalists. Of the problems they're, they're actually seeking to avoid and of the problems they end up creating by the the way they try and approach God. There are seven uh, legalistic traits outlined by Jesus in these verses. Four for the Pharisees, three for the lawyers. Uh, They're traits that all of us can be susceptible to, to some extent, perhaps some of us more than others, uh, but we can all be ever so susceptible to them. And as we look at them then, we've got to learn to avoid them. We've got to learn to avoid these legalistic traits. And then at the end, we'll see what the the real way is of knowing God's acceptance. And of being uh, right with him. So let's work through them. First of all, uh, the first uh, of the legalistic traits of the Pharisees. Uh, Just to explain who the Pharisees were, first of all. Uh, The Pharisees were a religious group of people... Uh, within uh, Judaism uh, the Judaism of Jesus' time Uh, being a Pharisee it wasn't a profession as such it wasn't a job rather it was a name given to someone who followed a particular strand of Judaism Uh, and it was a strand of Judaism that placed a high emphasis a great emphasis uh, on keeping laws Uh, in verse 38 as we've already said we have this astonished Pharisee. And he is astonished. He is genuinely shocked at something he notices and he sees. As we've said, he invites Jesus for dinner. Jesus accepts the invitation, but then Jesus sits down to eat without having his ceremonial wash. It shocks his Pharisee host. Why does it shock him? Well, it shocks the host because this Pharisee took ceremonial, ritual cleaning very seriously very seriously why might he do that why might he take it so seriously Uh, it's not the sort of hand washing that we think of when we say to the children make sure you wash your hands before you eat your dinner it's a ceremonial and a ritual hand washing that's that's inside here Uh, it's serious to him because in the mosaic law that is the god-given law of the old testament uh, given to god's old testament people uh, the law by which the pharisees sought to live ritual cleanliness was very important it was very important Jews were to be ritually clean 
uh, Jesus was a Jew. During his lifetime, he lived under the Mosaic law. He would have made sure that he remained ritually clean. Uh, one way, for example, that the Old Testament showed how you could become unclean was through touching a dead body. Once you touched a dead body, you were richly unclean before God. You had to go through a cleansing ceremony. Uh, God had given rituals and procedures that you had to follow to restore your cleanliness. However, having said that, God had never actually given a law in the Old Testament that said you will be unclean if you do not wash your hands before eating a meal. Such a law had never been given by God as part of the Mosaic law under which God's people, including the Pharisees and Jesus, lived. But what happened was that over time, over the centuries, Jewish religious leaders had added extra little laws to the main existing laws. They were linked to these existing laws that God had given. Uh, and this rule, this law about washing hands, was one of these extra little laws that had been added. It had been added out of a desire to remain ceremonially clean. But it was an extra law. It was not actually a God-given law. The problem that had arisen now was that through putting so much emphasis on these extra little laws, the Pharisees had missed the point of the original law that God had given when God had given laws about being unclean, they were supposed to be pointing to something else, something more significant. Look at what Jesus says in verse 39. Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. God's laws about potential uncleanness on the outside were supposed to alert people to the very real, genuine problem of dirt on the inside. Moral dirt in the heart. And as the Old Testament people of God, they were to observe the outward rituals. They had to. But it was alerting them to a deeper problem. Inner dirt. Sin in the heart. But the Pharisees have become so obsessed with surface cleanliness that they overlooked the need for a deep clean of their hearts. They missed it. Jesus says God doesn't just see the outside, he sees the inside too. He made them remember. He sees both. He sees what's going on in your head. He sees what's going on in your heart. Because he made us, verse 14. Jesus is saying here to them that you won't get rid of the greed and wickedness inside you, which is where the root of the problem is, by just constantly trying to clean up the outside. It won't do it. Because there's a much bigger problem. A problem with your heart. Your heart is what needs cleaning and sorting out. Uh, back in chapter 6, verse 45, that we looked at quite a few months ago now, Jesus had spoken there about the need for a change of someone's heart. 
If someone was going to be truly clean, if someone was going to be truly good, then their heart had to change, and then they would be okay inside and out. Their heart had to be made new. So that it loves God first, others second, and self last. But the Pharisees had missed it somehow. They'd overlooked it. They thought that as long as they observed the laws outwardly, they'd be fine with God. All the while, though, they were forgetting or they were refusing to acknowledge that what they needed was a heart washed clean. Then everything else Jesus says flows out of having that heart washed clean, made new. We can fall into the same trap, can't we? Sometimes people think that the way to please God is simply to do outwardly religious things. Go to church on a Sunday, preferably twice. Get baptised. Be confirmed. Give money, make sure it's a tenth. Read your Bible every day without fail. Say your prayers. Outward things, which are not wrong in and of themselves. Don't misunderstand me. In fact, some of them are excellent habits to get into and to be encouraged. But those things become wrong if they're what you are trusting in to make you acceptable to God. None of those things can make you right with God on their own. To be right with God, your heart needs cleansing. It needs renewed. The Pharisees had missed that. The second trait of the Pharisees and their legalism is found in verse 42. Uh, Jesus says, Woe to you Pharisees at the start of that verse. In other words, you've got a problem. Something's wrong. Uh, What's the problem? Well, he tells them. You tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. You ought to have done these without neglecting the others. So here's another trait of of legalism, another trait of the Pharisees, something they got wrong. Emphasising little laws above big ones. Now what Jesus says in verse 42, it would almost be comical if it wasn't so tragic. Uh, Talk about pedantic here with the Pharisees. Uh, Tithing was, let's be clear, tithing was a rule that God had given in the Mosaic law. God's people were to give a tenth of what they had, and it had come from God in the first place, they were to give a tenth of it back to God. Now the Pharisees had this down to a particularly fine and detailed art. In fact, they took this law so seriously that they even tithed uh, their herbs. You can almost imagine what's going on, can't you? We've got a a basil plant on our windowsill in the kitchen at home. Uh, And if we were to tie that, you can imagine if if it was the Pharisees where you would count up the number of leaves on the basil. Say you had 33 leaves. And then you think, well, 3.3 leaves have got to go to God. But then they would have thought, well, wait a minute, the leaves aren't all the same size. So giving 3.3 leaves isn't necessarily right, is it? Because it's not necessarily a tenth. I'd better measure the leaves and see how big they are. And then I'll know the total area of the leaves and I'll divide that by ten. And I'll give... And so it it was so detailed. And this is what they were doing. That is what they were like. Now, in all fairness, by the letter of the law, Jesus says, okay, you're right. By the letter of the law, fair enough. You need to give a tenth of your herbs. I'll give you that. 
The tragedy though was that whilst they were tithing their herbs, they were completely neglecting the justice and the love of God. You can imagine Jesus is telling this, how can you focus so diligently on counting your herbs whilst the downtrodden around you, the poor around you, those in desperate need around you are neglected, abused, show no love by you. What's happened to your priorities? What's happened to your getting things in the right order? Tithing herbs above that? One of the great purposes of God in giving the Mosaic law, including tithing, was to make sure that none of God's people actually suffered from injustice. To make sure that the people were showing love towards one another and caring for one another. But the Pharisees had become so fixated on the little details of the law that they had missed the law's bigger purpose in this regard. God's justice. God's love. We've got to be so careful that we don't fall into the same trap. So careful. We can be awfully pedantic at times if we're not careful. I did hear the example, for, for example, of someone once having said a certain time in each day aside for prayer. Excellent thing to do. Good thing to do. Uh, but then somebody came round during that time desperately needing, urgently needing their help with something. And they said, well, you're going to have to wait until I finish my prayer time and then I'll come and help you. Hmm. The prayer time can be rearranged. It's important, yes. Don't neglect it. But that person needs your help now. Help them. Pray later. Uh, another example. Some of us as Christians can have an awfully long list of things that you can and can't do on a Sunday. We've got to be so careful. So careful. Those laws, some of them that we've created, may not be biblical. Even if they are, to pay more attention to them than to the bigger issues of God's justice and God's love is a problem. And Jesus says, woe to you. He's had to correct the Pharisees on this once already, earlier in the Gospel, where they criticised him for healing someone on the Sabbath. We've got to be so careful that we don't neglect the bigger things by concentrating on the littler things. A third trait, though, of the Pharisees' legalism. Uh, it made them proud. It made them self-centered. Uh, verse 43, the Pharisees loved the best seat in the synagogue uh, and greetings in the marketplace. Uh, you know, the Pharisees uh, loved being looked up to as the people who were so holy, uh, who kept the law uh, faultlessly. They gave the impression that they did. And they love people saying, look how good they are. Look how wonderful they are. Look how great they are. People did it as well. They thought that the Pharisees must be the ones getting it right. And they showed them deference in the synagogue and in the marketplace. Jesus says, no. No, that should not be. Again, if they'd understood properly, they would have realized that we are to be centered on others, not ourselves. They had misunderstood the law. Jesus says, woe to you. The last trait of the Pharisees' legalism is perhaps the most damning of all, though, in verse 44. Jesus explains where all this legalism, this hypocrisy, ends up. He says there, 
Uh, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walking over them without knowing it. Uh, Two things that Jesus is saying there. First of all, the way to life with God is not through your keeping of laws. Be they your own laws, somebody else's laws, or even God's laws. That's not the way to life, says Jesus. Trying to get life in that way, through law-keeping, leads to the grave. It leads to death. Uh, That is, Jesus says, where the Pharisees were. They were in the grave. They were dead. Because they tried to obtain life through keeping God's laws. Now, it may surprise us to hear that God will not give us life through law-keeping. The reason he won't give us life that way is because we cannot keep his law perfectly. Jesus has exposed that in the Pharisees already. We cannot do it. If we could, then yes, we would receive life. But we can't. The Pharisees have become really good at keeping certain laws. In fact, those areas of the laws that they could keep, they elaborated on. And said, look how well we're keeping them. They gave the impression that they were doing really well. They were good at hand washing, they were good at tidying herbs, etc., etc. But it was all just an elaborate cover at the end of the day for the fact that inside they failed to love God with all their heart, with all their strength, with all their soul, with all their mind, and so on. And because they couldn't do that, they were dead. It had killed them. They were deceiving their selves in thinking their outward law-keeping could make up for their inward sin. But there's another reason why Jesus uses the illustration of an unmarked grave here to describe these legalistic Pharisees. Uh, If you had lived in Israel at that time, uh, then you wouldn't have seen unmarked graves, at least you shouldn't have done. Uh, They made a very particular point of making sure that graves were marked so that you could see where they were. Uh, And that was because, as I've already said, under Mosaic law, you would become unclean if you came into contact with a dead body. You became unclean. What Jesus tells the Pharisees now, you're like unmarked graves. In other words, you're contaminating everyone who comes into contact with you and swallows what you're doing. People don't realise that you're contaminating them because no woman has actually marked you up as being unclean, as being wrong. What a damning indictment of the Pharisees. But we have to learn from it, don't we? If there's any of this legalism in us, we have to root it out. We have to ask God to root it out in us. Because not only does it contaminate you, as it contaminated the Pharisees, it contaminates those who are influenced by you who watch you, who see you, who listen to you. Are you in any way, by your behaviour, your life and your words, suggesting to people that they can become acceptable to God through what they do, through laws they keep? Make sure you are not suggesting to them that that is the way to life with God, because it's deadly. It leads to the grave. We have to be very clear with people. Observing the law, the law of God, doesn't get us life. It can't, because we can't fully do it. 
Uh, we need to tell people, yes, I seek to live to please God, I seek to keep his law, but it's not in order to be accepted by him. That's not how I get life. And we should tell them, and I still break the law, we should be humble, not seeking the best place in the market and so on and in the synagogue. We should tell them, I still make mistakes. I'm still not perfect. I'm relying on something else, which will come too soon. But we don't rely on keeping the law. Well, Jesus' devastating critique of the Pharisees in these verses, it provokes a response as well, it might. (laughs) You would think it would provoke a response, wouldn't you? The response doesn't come from a Pharisee, surprisingly enough, in verse 45. Uh, It comes from a lawyer. Uh, Again, it's important that we know what a lawyer is in this context. Uh, Lawyers in the New Testament, in the Bible, uh, they're not the same as lawyers that we think of today. Uh, They're not people who would represent you in a civil court, uh, as as we think of lawyers. Uh, No, in Jesus' time, a Jewish lawyer was someone who was an expert in the Mosaic law. Uh, in the law given by God to his people at Mount Sinai after he brought them out of Egypt. It's recorded in the Old Testament books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, they were experts in God's law then. They were professional studies of God's law. And the Pharisees weren't professionals as such. Uh, the lawyers were. This was their job, to know this. Uh, one of these lawyers tells Jesus in verse 45, uh, Teacher... In saying these things to the Pharisees, you're insulting us as well. You're not just insulting the Pharisees here, you're insulting us, and we're the experts. This lawyer had listened to what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. Uh, The Pharisees who believed the law should be closely observed. And he had come to the conclusion that what Jesus was saying wasn't just an insult to them, it was an insult to him. And he was a professional. He knew what he was on about. Uh, But the lawyers were legalists too. The lawyers were legalists too. They thought they could have life from God by keeping the law. Uh, I don't know how the lawyer expected Jesus to react to him uh, when he pointed out that he was insulted as well by what Jesus had said. Uh, Maybe he thought Jesus would give him a bit of an apology and say, "Oh, oh, well, sorry, I was talking about the Pharisees. I wasn't talking about you lawyers. I mean, obviously you're the good guys. Obviously you're the experts and you understand the law. So I wasn't talking about you. Sorry for any offence caused. I hope he didn't expect that from Jesus because it's not what he got, is it? He definitely doesn't get that. Verse 46. And Jesus said, Woe to you lawyers also. They're about to get it both barrels too. And Jesus will pick out three more legalistic traits in the lawyers. Again, we need to avoid the same mistakes. Uh, First of all, verse 46, a classic legalistic trait. Multiplying of laws. Piling on of laws. Laws upon laws upon laws. Burdening people with them. He says in verse 46, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear. We've got to be careful not to be guilty of that ourselves. Um, How can it happen? Well, we can see something in God's word that God's word teaches is genuinely wrong and that we should not do or that we should do. But then, in order to, to obey that law, 
we can hedge it around with lots of little extra laws, a bit like the Pharisees were doing. Let me, let me pick out some of the little extra laws that, that we can be guilty of introducing as if they were God's laws. Hebrews 10.25. This, this might not offend maybe, but sound a little controversial to some. But I think it's important to be said. Hebrews 10.25 says, Christians should not neglect meeting together. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's God's word for us. We must meet together as Christians. It's clear. But God's word doesn't actually specify, does it, how often we should meet together. It doesn't give a number. Obviously, as a church, we're going to arrange a number of meetings for the purpose of encouraging one another, which is what the Hebrew, writer of the Hebrews says in 10.25. We're to meet together to encourage one another. Uh, there is even something in that verse that suggests there should be an increased frequency of meeting. That's a good thing. All the more so as the day draws nearer. You should meet. <coughs> so yeah, I think we should encourage more meeting together. I absolutely do. But I can't put a number on it. I can't. It's not there in God's word. So we mustn't overburden people by saying that you must be at all the meetings organised. <coughs> We can't say must. Can't do it. It's not in God's word. We can't lay down the law on that because there is no law. We can encourage. Yes. We can point out we should meet together. We're encouraged to meet together. We're encouraged to do it frequently. We can't say must. It's not there. Uh, a second one. Perhaps even more controversial to some. But I'm going to say it because it's in God's word. We can't say to people, you must not drink alcohol. Can't say it. It's not in God's word. We can say and we should say and we must say, do not get drunk. That is a sin. Do not do it. Ever. We can say, for example, if you're underage, do not drink alcohol. That is a sin. It's the law of the land. Do not do it. Ever. We cannot say, do not ever drink alcohol if you're an adult of age. The Bible doesn't say it. We can suggest that it might be a good idea, especially if you have a problem with alcohol, to avoid it. We can suggest that, and it might be a very good suggestion. But we cannot lay it down as law. The Bible doesn't. We must not. We cannot lay it down as law. So then, it is legalistic to burden people with many laws, especially ones that aren't given in God's word. You can see how they arise because they're hedged around the big law to stop us breaking the big law. But they can only be suggestions, those, to avoid breaking the main law. They can't become law themselves. They can't. We can't do that. Uh, these lawyers were particularly condemned by Jesus because they loaded people with laws upon laws upon laws that they couldn't keep. But their hypocrisy is seen because they did nothing to ease the, ease the burden of keeping those laws. As we shall see shortly, they should have known how the burden could be lifted. They should have known. But what was their second legalistic trait? Verses 47 to 51. 
they silenced the prophets who brought them God's word all through her history God's people Israel had constantly turned away from God despite all his goodness to them they turned away from his actual law when this happened God sent prophets to urge the people to turn from their sin and back to God Uh, but what typically happens is that the people the people of Israel often led by the so called experts in the law did what? they silenced the prophets sent by God by killing them they didn't want to listen they put him to death Jesus tells the lawyers of his generation you're no different to your forefathers are you you won't listen to God's message rather you will silence his messengers by killing them in verses 49 and 50 uh, Jesus speaks in such a way as to actually suggest that the responsibility for the murders of all the prophets throughout the Old Testament and on into his day will fall on the generation to which he was speaking. You're going to be charged with the death of them all. Uh, Verses 49 to 50 then are saying that this murdering of the prophets would reach a climax with the religious leaders of Jesus' day. It would reach its, its, its peak, its climax. Their legalism Their understanding of the law was leading them down a terrible path. It was leaving them on a path that would make them guilty of a horrific sin. Then in verse 52, a final woe, a final trait of their legalism. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. That final woe of Jesus there that is the climax of everything going on in this passage, it begs a question. It begs the question, what is the key of knowledge, and what door does it open so that people may enter in? What is it the key to? Well, it's the key to eternal life it's the key to life with God it's the key to rest God's rest what is the key itself the key itself is God's grace his grace shown in Jesus Christ Let me try and explain a little bit more about this key and this rest. Uh, We thought a lot this morning about legalism, about where it leads, about attempting to keep God's laws or man's little laws or whatever laws they may be in order to gain eternal life from God. We can't do it. Legalism is not the key to life. It's the key to death and to the grave the key to life it's embracing God's grace isn't it trusting in God's grace shown in Jesus Christ that is the only way to true rest that is the only way to true life what were the lawyers doing the Pharisees doing they were using the law to burden people to burden them 
telling them you must do this, you must not do that, and multiplying it hundreds of times over, it weighed the people down as well it would. It weighed them down, weighed down with their inability to actually keep the law. Whatever they did, they broke it. What does Jesus come and say to those weighed down by the law, by their sin, their breaking of that law? What does he come and say? Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, heavy burdened, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Key to life? Jesus. He's the key, isn't he? Jesus coming and graciously offering to take that burden of the broken law off your back. He'll come and he'll take it from you when you ask him. Where does he take it? He takes it with him to the cross. That's where he takes it. Puts it on his own back. Takes it to the cross. Where the lawyers, the religious leaders, silence him. Or try to. They murder him. The man who had actually kept the law perfectly for us. The man who had taken the burden of the broken law that we have onto his own back for us dies in our place at the hands of the so-called legal experts. And in dying in that way, what does he do? He graciously opens up life for us. The way into that rest. You see, the law cannot make you acceptable before God. It can never give you life because you're unable to keep it. You can't. I can't. None of us can. We're told that we, our hearts are desperately wicked, just like the Pharisees were. We cannot keep the law. What the Lord does is to show us that we're sinners, it's to show us that, yes, we're failures, it shows us we need forgiveness. It shows us we need God's grace, his undeserved love, his undeserved favour, his undeserved kindness shown in his son, Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees and the lawyers, by thinking that they could domesticate and keep the law, what had they ended up doing? They'd ended up throwing away the key. Jesus says, you've taken it away. <laughs> you should have known it's God's grace. That's the only way, God's forgiveness, shown in Christ. Do you want eternal life with God? Do you want that rest? Then you have to acknowledge that your heart is rotten. You've broken God's law. You've rebelled against him. And then what do you do? Well, you just throw yourself on God's grace. No other way. You throw yourself upon Jesus Christ. You trust him. You say, forgive me. Take the burden of my sin, my law-breaking, and pay for it on the cross in my place. And he does. Don't deserve it. Don't earn it. We just have to ask him for it and trust that he will do it, and he will. Ask him to give you then a new heart. A heart that genuinely does love God.
ask him then to give you his spirit and I'll close by saying this ask him to give you his spirit within because what does the spirit do it changes us it makes us more like Jesus it gives us a desire to obey God not to make us acceptable but to please him to glorify him to thank him for lifting the burden in Christ Amen